I think it was a bumper sticker I read that said, Jesus loves you, but everybody else thinks you're an idiot. <laughs> but I sure am glad the Lord loves me, amen? That's the truth. It, uh, it pays to remind yourself of that. Because some days you don't feel very loved at all, amen? Especially when you get up in the morning and you got to go to work. You don't even love yourself at that moment. <laughs> it's more self-loathing than self-loving. Take your Bible tonight, go to 1 Samuel chapter 19, 1 Samuel chapter 19, moving right through the book of 1 Samuel, been a good run so far, if nothing else, I have learned tremendous amounts just being able to have the privilege to preach through the book of 1 Samuel, you probably get tired of hearing me say that, but it's, it's, it's the truth. The Lord uh, wants us to make changes in our Christian life, and uh, when you get face-to-face with that change, it's often very difficult, um, because when you make changes, you then, I don't know, about, maybe, maybe I'm just speaking out my ears here, but uh, you think, well, I've made these changes, I don't need to change, but you know what? You've got to keep changing, and one thing the Lord dealt with me for quite a while was about preaching. And uh, we need teaching and preaching, amen? Uh, Not just to take a verse and to take a fit or to take a phrase and try to run that thing through the Bible and show everybody how much you know. But the Lord said you need, I think he said you need to learn how to preach. And all God's children said. (laughs) And so one of the changes that I've had to make as a preacher is to actually preach through a book instead of teach. It's, uh, there, there's one thing to sit down and say, okay, here's the, the book of the Bible, and here's how many words are in it, and here's how many, you know, times the word dog or cat's in it. Cat's not in the Bible, <clears throat> but anyways. But it's another thing to try to get alone in a passage long enough to try to get the Holy Ghost uh, to get a hold of your heart and for Him to give you something. And that's the same way with your Bible reading. You might not be a pastor or preacher, but if you study your Bible, once you start spending time with it, the Holy Ghost can take that time and He can turn around and give you something. But too many Christians won't take the time. And, uh, but we have to keep changing. Not the message, but a, a good pre-introductory remark there. First Samuel chapter 9. Uh, now that you're all comfortable, I'll have you stand. I'll try to read uh, through this chapter uh, quickly. 1 Samuel chapter 19, the Bible says, beginning in verse 1, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and all his servants that they should kill David. Welcome to the family. (laughs) The reason I say that is because in verse 30 uh, and 29 of the previous chapter, he has just become the king's (laughs) son-in-law. So uh, uh, we treat you like family (laughs) takes on a whole new meaning. But that's uh, verse 1. The Bible says in verse 2, But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill me. Now therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself in the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. And I'll go out and stand beside my father in the field, where thou art, and I'll commune with my father of thee. And what I see, that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee. And because his works have been to thee very, to thee word, very good. For he did put his life in his hand, and slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it, and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swears, The Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. <clears throat> And just go ahead and go down to uh, verse uh, uh, number 18. So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. I bet you that was a rich session right there. <laughs> and, uh, and he and Samuel went and dwelt in Nioth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Nioth and Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David. When they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then when he also to Ram and came to a great well that is in Sichu, 
And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they be at Nioth and Ramah. And he went thither to Nioth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Nioth and Ramah. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore they say is Saul also among the prophets. Man, that's a weird passage of scripture, ain't it? I don't care what you, how spiritual you are, that's just weird. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ. We need your help now. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for our freedoms. Thank you, Lord, that we can meet here in this church house and that it's warm. It's been real beautiful out. And Father, I pray now that you'd meet with us here. Father, we have needs. Father, we have spiritual needs. We need to change. And Father, we need to be fed. And Father, that's a supernatural job. Father, I pray that you'd equip me to do so. Fill me with your spirit and your people as well. Father, I pray that your name would be lifted up. And Father, we'd appreciate your book more because of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. you. May be seated. What a wild passage of scripture you have in front of you. This chapter starts off with a real bang, no doubt, like we said in verse 1. It starts off with Saul telling others he wants David dead. So like I said, what a great family induction, amen? <laughs> Welcome to the family. <laughs> David's just become the king's son-in-law. He's part of the royal family. And he's been promoted privately by Samuel, right? He's been promoted privately by Samuel, Samuel, but then he's been praised publicly by the people. You see that? And now, since Saul's mad and he's acting like a, oh, like a two-year-old, he wants him dead. Saul can't stand the thought of someone else getting accolades and getting more honors and credibility than uh, the head honcho himself. And uh, so that's a real interesting point of view for family in this chapter. Nevertheless, if you recall in Romans chapter 8, verse 36, the Bible says, As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And David here in this chapter, beginning in this chapter, and going all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 31, is going to go through some real trouble like he's never seen before. And you know what, Christian? In your Christian life, you are going to too. And you're going to face some troubles. And some days it's going to be easy sailing, and some days it's going to be rough winds. Here's the thing. There's no end to this type of trouble until Saul is killed in battle at Mount Gilboa in 1 Samuel 31. But then, even after the trouble with Saul has ended, you see David experiences trouble in his own flesh. And then beyond the trouble in the flesh, he has trouble in his own family. So I guess we could suffice it to say that there's always going to be trouble in the Christian life. And most of you have been around long enough that you know that is absolute truth. Amen. There's always going to be trouble. Always going to be trouble. And Job said it like this. Man is born, uh, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. We know this. If we know this and we believe the Bible, why do you suppose we as Christians, I'm speaking ambiguously, why do you suppose we try to run from it so often? I think it's just natural. I think it's natural uh, now, some people are drama magnets. Everywhere you find them, you find drama. You know, the drama llamas or whatever, you know, the billy goat that screams and all that stuff. And some people are notorious just for being a problem. But I don't know about you, I try to run from that stuff. Uh, but I never try to, on purpose, I never try on purpose to run from the Lord. But you ever stop and think why many Christians, they, uh, they get all hyped up about trouble and uh, they end up wasting their time fretting, and they have some time worrying about it, and they end up wasting their time uh, uh, trying to get out of things. But the Bible says you're going to have to go through it anyways. Uh, the old bluegrass singer Doyle Lawson, he, uh, I think he wrote the one song, he says he accepts trouble as payment from the Lord. <laughs> I suppose so. It's not inspired, but it's a good way to look at it. You're a Christian, you're going to go through trouble. And if you're not going through trouble right now, thank the Lord. <laughs> Just enjoy the sunny skies because trouble is always going to come. And I suppose that eternity in the judgment seat of Christ will tell of the untold number of Christians that ran away from trouble by running away from the church house. It happens. You talk to people, there's many Christians out in our community, and I'm not just talking about this church, any church where the Bible was preached or is preached, Christians will run away from trouble by running away from church thinking that that will solve it. Christians will run away from reading their Bible 
because they start reading their Bible and all of a sudden trouble pops up. People, Christians will start praying and they'll stop praying because trouble pops up. And like I said, the judgment seat of Christ will, will only, and you know, and I've watched it in this church at the inchoate stage when the Lord brought us here in 2014, we had a fellow get saved and he began to win souls of Jesus Christ and he was rather, he was rather excited about it. He won about two or three souls of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, about five souls of Jesus Christ. And man, the devil got all over him like stink in the barnyard, and he was gone. Just like that. Why? Trouble. And in this passage, we can learn a lot of things about trouble. And we see David uh, beginning a time of trouble. And there are things all through this chapter, I see at least uh, four of them, I think will help you and I in dealing with trouble. Dealing with trouble. Now listen, when you have trouble... Um, uh, you could give me the Sunday school answer and say there's only one way to handle trouble. And in a generic sense, you would be right. But I want you to see David is developing and David is growing. Would you say tonight, as a child of God, you want to develop and you want to grow? Well, then let's look at David. He's a man after God's own heart. And he's going to show us some of the ways that he handled trouble. And they're not all wrong. They're not all wrong. They might not all be 100%, but I want to show you this thing. Uh, so in a time of trouble, that's what I'll preach about, a time of trouble. And David enters a time of trouble here. And let me just jump right into the passage here. In, in the time of trouble, uh, sometimes, if you look at verse 2, uh, sometimes what you have to do is you just have to find that secret place, don't you? Bible says here in verse 2, Jonathan says, Take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. I mean, sometimes you have just got to get alone with God, don't you? And when trouble comes, uh, you know, uh, you just you got to find the secret place. Now, to this passage, that secret place is a physical location. And, of course, we're using a spiritual application, but still you have to find a location that's quiet. <laughs> and in some houses that's difficult, isn't it? But you have to find, sometimes you just got to find that secret place in trouble. In verse 2, you notice Jonathan makes his demand, doesn't he? He says, take heed to thyself. It ought to be a demand that you and I take care of ourselves spiritually. It really ought to. Uh, I'm not sure why. It's, uh, maybe it's the latest in church age. I suppose you could blame that. Uh, maybe it's the natural tendency of man. But a lot of things, we leave ourselves go. Uh, we'll be more concerned about how everybody else is acting or how everybody else is faring uh, and uh, what kind of shape everybody else is in. But we won't take heed to ourselves. And Jonathan points this thing out and he says, you need to take heed to yourself. Uh, why? Trouble, trouble. And sometimes you gotta, you got to meet the demand. Jonathan makes the demand in verse 2. And notice this, it's not just uh, get alone and, dear Lord, bail me out. You know, I'm in trouble. Uh, it's real good talking to you. See you later. But notice the duration in verse 2. And that duration here for David is until the morning. You know, when you get in that secret place sometimes, it's okay to put it in park. And look, uh, I understand you have responsibilities. And I understand you got family. And I understand you got things to do, but sometimes when you're in trouble, you need to put it in park and pull off the stops and let the duration take over. You need to stay put sometimes. Uh, don't let pressure from family and friends and finances and all the rest of those foes and, and what, whatever uh, keep you from the secret place that you need to be. And listen, when you're in trouble, sometimes you've got to pull off the stakes and go and not be in a hurry to leave. The thing with fellowship, we think fellowship is just something we slip in. You might have to make everything work around it. Amen. You might be one that fellowships on the road on the way to work. You might be one that fellowships when you have a, a time of, of, of uh, a blank space. So let me tell you, sometimes you've got to pull up the stops, and it needs to last a while. You see what I mean? You have to learn that it's going to take some time when you're in trouble in that secret place, and you've got to learn uh, the let the duration take place. And Jonathan tells David until the morning. Now notice the direction that Jonathan gives David. He says, hide thyself. There's nothing more peaceful than to be able to get a hold of God and just hide yourself at the foot of the cross. There really is. There, there's nothing better than it. And I couldn't convince some Christians of this, but when things are really going to be bad in your life, there's nothing better than just being in a quiet place, a secret place where just you and the Lord in communion. You say, well, that doesn't fix the problem. No, but it sure alleviates the stress the longer you're there. I can think of a couple of places, a couple of times where I've just got, had to get a hold of the Lord, be in the middle of the night somewhere, and everybody's in bed, and I'm out here, and, you know, you know, you know on the couch or something, or I'm trying to you know, kneel and all that. And I tell you what, there's nothing better than just being alone with the Lord. 
I'm telling you, in a time of trouble, sometimes you just got to get along with him. You got to find that secret place. And that secret place, um, it might change, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe nobody knows about it. They don't need to know about it. But it's a place that you need to take some time at. Now, you know the reference here, Psalm 91.1, David says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Let me ask you this question in the middle of the week. Have you been to your secret place this week? He says, I sure have. Hasn't it been good? Or has it been rushed? Isn't it easy to get everything turned around and out of place? Look, I know we're just a handful of people. I'm not trying to put uh, too much pressure unless the Holy Spirit wants to put the pressure on you. But isn't it easy just to go, hey, Lord, it's really good to know that I'm saved and walk away from that thing? Sometimes it's like you think because you don't feel spiritual that you need to spend much time. But listen, that's the time you need to spend more time. Maybe trouble's brewing. Maybe trouble's right around the corner and how you react is going to be how you're, how you're sitting in fellowship with the Lord right now. I'm just saying when trouble comes, you have got to sometimes get a hold of that secret place. Sometimes you just got to take heed to thyself. Stop, stop thinking about everything else. Stop thinking about finances. Stop thinking about, you know, what you got to get done in the yard. Stop thinking about your responsibilities. I'm not saying be irresponsible. Just say, you know what's important? What's important that I need to take heed to myself, my spiritual self, and let this world go to blazes for about 20 minutes. We raise our children to be responsible. Amen. We raise the youngins to do things and do them thoroughly. But yet, so many times we're not thorough about our secret place. I'm telling you what, you have got to learn, if you already haven't, that you've got to have a secret place where you can escape to and you can stay and no one's going to flip out about. Now, they might flip out at first because they're not used to seeing you gone. <laughs> Amen. I mean, does everyone really need to know where you're at 24-7? No. All right, so you're married. Tell your spouse, okay, it's just it's, it's me and the Lord time. You're, you're strictly out of luck for a few. <laughs> All right. Right, but you can shut that thing off, That right? You do not need anyone getting a hold of you 24-7, right? You can turn the phone off. Or you can leave it in the car, or you can leave it in the room, and we have disciplined ourselves to receive notifications from everyone else but the Lord. The old hymn writer said, Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care, and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. And you know what? Sometimes in trouble, you've got to find that secret place. Notice here in verse 10, that secret place, sometimes you have to learn to slip away to it. You see it? In verse 10, the Bible says, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence. You see that? You know what's coming at him? A javelin. I'm going to tell you what, you've got to be in such a place with your relationship with the Lord. When the javelins of life come at you, you can slip away. You see it? And when you get that secret place, you've got to learn to slip away. You say, well, you know, I'm too important. No, you know, it's okay. The world will be all right for a few. Listen, trouble's coming. Trouble's coming. You say, what a wonderful message. Trouble's coming. you got to learn to find the secret place, and sometimes you're going to have to just slip away. Just, you know, slip away. Get out of the way. Go to that secret place. But not only that, look at verse 12. Sometimes you have to slip away, and sometimes you have to flat out run away. Verse 12, the Bible says, and he went and fled and escaped. I'm just pointing out a couple ways that you could approach that secret place. You can go ahead and, you know, slip away and, and just avoid the presence of things that are bothering you. And sometimes when things are bad, you have got to pull out the stops and you've got to shut everything down, take the world, but give me Jesus. And you're going to need this. You say, I don't need it. You're going to need it. Sometimes you've got to slip away in verse 10 and sometimes you've got to run away. And it's all right to run to that secret place. And it's okay if everyone goes, well, what's wrong with her? Well, what's wrong with him? And you're like, if you only had a day, I'd tell you, and you'd never ask me again. Right? It's okay. Well, sometimes you've got to find that secret place. Over back there in Exodus chapter 14, verse 5, you know, uh, uh, concerning the world, uh, Israel ran away from Egypt. The Bible says the people fled. Sometimes you've got to flee from this world. Amen? 
Sometimes you get inundated from the world and you get so you get rubbing shoulders with the world and you get so you get so irritated with this world and this world system, it'll turn you. It'll jade you and it'll make you think everything's all right. It ain't all right. And there in Exodus chapter 14, 5, Israel, they the people fled. That's a great picture. When you get saved, you know what the people of Israel, you know what the children of Israel weren't doing? They weren't taking their time to get out of Egypt. They were getting out of there. They had been in bondage for 430 years, and the Lord finally said, okay, time to go. And they're like, yes, and they're gone. The people ran. The people fled over there in Genesis chapter 39, verse 12. Uh, you know what Joseph did? He ran away from fleshly temptation. You know why uh, you get snagged in fleshly temptation? Because you won't run from it. you got to learn to run to that secret place. You see that? You got the world. You got Israel running from Egypt. That's a picture of the world. You got Joseph running from a fleshly temptation. There's the flesh. And you know what? Right here in 1 Samuel chapter 19, 12, David runs away from Saul. That's a picture of the devil. Saul's a picture of the devil. He's a picture of the Antichrist. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 19, 12, and he went and fled and escaped. And there's going to be times in your Christian life when you're in trouble. And you need to run to that secret place. And you know what? It doesn't stinking matter whether anyone understands it or not. You've got to start remembering that nobody, not everybody needs to know your business. Amen? You've got to learn to get along with the Lord and shut the world out. Why? Trouble's coming. And you're going to have to run to that secret place. Well, let me give you this one, number two. We're talking about a time of trouble. Everyone deals with trouble. And a lot of Christians are running away from it. But you know what? Just running away from it ain't going to work. Because as soon as you stop, trouble will be right there to help you unpack your bags. Uh, number two, look at verse eight. Not only do you have to find the secret place, but sometimes when trouble comes your way, you know what the Lord expects you to do? He expects you to fight it out. I want you to see it. Look at verse eight. The Bible says, and there was war again, and David went out and fought. Hold on. There's trouble, right? Okay, so Jonathan Smooth talked Daddy, and Daddy let his guard down for a minute and let David back into the good grace, but there's still trouble, isn't there? And sometimes when there's trouble, the Lord, you know what the Lord wants you to do? He wants you to put your dukes up, not like Bo and Luke, right? But he expects you to fight. <laughs> Pop culture, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you got to learn to fight. Is that all right to say in a Bible-believing church? We're not talking about fighting the brethren, you know, fighting one another, and, you know, fighting with your wife or fighting with your husband. You've got to learn to fight. What? The trouble. Now look at this thing. The Bible says in verse 8, David went out and fought. And of course, Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Man, ain't nothing to help you out in a time of trouble than just learning to spiritually fight that thing. Amen. And fight it. I mean, you got any fight in you or what? This is the most unfighting generation we've ever been a part of. Fight the good fight of faith. You know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 26? He says, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. You say, what are you saying? He's not a shadow boxer. He wasn't huffing and a puffing and a puffing. And, you know, he, he, was, he said, I'm going to punch something. I'm going to land a punch. You ever stop and think about when you're facing trouble, the best, one of the best things you can do is learn how to fight and land a spiritual punch. The world gives you garbage. Go ahead and win someone to Christ. <laughs> Amen. What's wrong with turning around and going on the offensive? Why are we all scared all of a sudden in the Laodicean church age? I, I was thinking about Laodicean, Laozy, <laughs> Laozy, <laughs> lazy. <laughs> I'm not saying all the Christians are lazy, but maybe there's something there. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm saying sometimes you got to get in that secret place, and sometimes, man, you just got to fight it out. You got to learn to just draw the line and say, if you cross that line, man, you're going down. Now look at this thing, 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul says that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. You ever, you ever stop and think why some Christians don't fight? I'll just give you some thoughts. They're not inspired. I'll just give you some thoughts for a minute. Some Christians don't fight because they're scared. They've never stood. You ever just went up to someone and asked them if they were going to spend eternity in heaven or hell? Some Christians won't because they're scared. Some Christians don't fight because they've never seen anyone else fight. 
You ever stop and think about that? I wonder why the old man used to watch Friday night fights all the time. He was a police officer for however many years he was down Monroe there deep by Detroit. And uh, yeah, back in the day, and <laughs> he was a beat cop and uh, kind of indicative of his earthly ministry there. <laughs> he'd get beat and he'd help beat others, <laughs> amen. And when he'd, uh, he'd cuff the criminal, he'd cuff him to a street light <laughs> and they'd send a car down and get him. They didn't have cars. But anyways, you ever stop and think that some Christians don't fight because they've never seen anyone else fight? That's why it's important to be a great witness in the workplace. Why? Because there's other people there that are saved. And they've just never seen anyone stand up and fight this world and this world system. And you're going to find out if you've got enough guts to get out there and get in the battle for Jesus Christ, you start standing, you're going to find out, Oh, by the way, I'm a Christian too. Oh, you are? Praise the Lord, man. <laughs> Been here six years. I had no idea. <laughs> they just never seen anyone else do it. I'll give you another reason. A lot of Christians don't fight because they've been taught to get along at any cost. Now, we're not going out there being a jerk for Jesus. You know what I mean? We're not going, talking about going out there and putting the spotlight on you. But given the right situation, you ever just get in the battle? in the workplace? You ever get in the battle at the store? You ever get in the battle on the street somewhere? You ever just get in the battle wherever you are and people know that you're a soldier of Jesus Christ? But some people, they've been taught to get along at any cost. How about this one? Some Christians don't fight because they don't read the Bible unless it's to get something devotionally. Lately, you know why I read the Bible? Because I need it. I'm a mess. Your preacher's a mess. You know what I know if I'm a mess? I'm sure some of y'all are a mess too. I need it. You say, well, yeah, you got you to gotta read the Bible to preach. If the only reason I read the Bible is to preach, man, I'd be a lousy, I'd be a lousy pastor, that's for sure. I got to get in this book too. But some people, they don't fight because they never read the Bible unless it's devotion. Oh, look what the Lord's going to do for me. Oh, he loves me. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> He's fed up with you right now. <laughs> yeah, he loves you. And some Christians don't fight uh, because they attend a church that doesn't fight. And, of course, uh, last but not least, and I didn't lead this one. I don't want you to think I'm taking shots at you, but some Christians don't fight because they are lazy. Right? They don't want to get in. It's too much of a hassle. You know? <laughs> Let the youngins do it. Boy, wait a minute. The most boldness and the most brash and the most, uh, the, the most social skills that you should have is when you're older, amen? I mean, think about it. When you're in your 30s to 50s or maybe even higher, I mean, you've been around a while. you got some wit about you. you got some worldly wisdom, amen? And man, you ought to have the edge. Well, we'll let the youngins do it. And, you know, the youngins are trying to figure this thing out called life. But that's just some of the reasons. But let me tell you this. Uh, sometimes you just got to get in there and fight. And here's the thing, you can't always retreat. You ever stop and think about that? When trouble comes, you can't always run. Now, I understand the first point was, yeah, you got to find the secret place. That's a good place to run to, but you can't always retreat. Sometimes you just got to lock your heels and knees and breathe. And it's coming. And you got to stand. I'm talking about a time of trouble. You can't always retreat. You know what? You can't, you can't expect to have a victory without a battle. You have a generational Christianity. Oh, faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glory. And they've never had a battle a day in their life. They never fought their flesh. They never stood against the world and went to battle with the world. And they won't fight the devil. And they won't fight their habits. And they won't fight their mouth. And they won't fight. only thing that fights the brethren and their spouse. <laughs> You can't expect to have a victory without a battle. Then the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 7, uh, if you're going you're gonna to have to learn to resist the devil and not just hope he doesn't find you, right? And, of course, you've got to resist him steadfast how? In the faith. How about this one? You can't, always have a, you can't expect to have a victory without a battle, and you can't have a battle without enduring some battlefield conditions. I think probably now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty why some Christians are real hesitant to fight because the battlefield conditions are never pleasant. And uh, if you're going to be in a battle, you're going to have to put up with some stuff. Amen? 
Okay, maybe not. And the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 1.4, you're going to have to endure tribulations. Tough times. Oh, I'm, well, I'm not sure why this isn't preached more, but you have to learn to endure tribulations. Trouble. Tri tribulations. Trouble, right? How about this one? You have to endure hardness. What's hardness? Hard times. People not understanding you. Family not getting you. Miscommunication. Stinking cell phones responsible for more miscommunication than anything I ever met in my life. I couldn't tell you how many times I've been at odds with my dearly beloved spouse there. It's just because of the way a text was sent or the way I read it. And then you find out later, well, they didn't intend it that way. Hardness. How about this one? Persecution. You do what's right and then you get it. You do what's right, someone misjudges your motive. Well, you just think, no, 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 I didn't think that. You just got to put up with that. That's battlefield conditions. Well, I, I, I never, well, probably, probably never. <laughs> How about this one? 2 Timothy 4, 5, you got to learn to endure afflictions. Afflictions. And by the way, you know, those afflictions are appointed by God. Instead of running for them, from them, you got to learn to put up. That's the battlefield. And that's exactly how I feel. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, just like Christ, you know what you have to learn to endure in the battlefield? Sinners. Sinners. you got to learn to endure sinners. We're not very graceful with sinners, are we? You think because you got the King James Bible and you're a Bible believer that everyone should, you know, march the way you march. No, you're going to have to endure sinners. I mean, down at Walmart and down at wherever you go, there's sinners everywhere you go. The difference between you and I and uh, lost people is we sin different. Right? You have to learn that the battlefield conditions, you have to endure sinners. How about this one? James 1.12, you're going to have to learn to endure temptations. When you're on the battlefield fighting for the Lord, the temptations get proud. Look what I've done. The temptation on the battlefield is to get worn out get depressed. Start feeling sorry for yourself. Amen. Start thinking like Elijah. <laughs> I alone am left, and everyone's trying to kill me, right? And the Lord's like, oh, no, there's 7,000 haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You'll be all right. Get up and go find someone to do your job, and, you know, you ain't done yet, old man. <laughs> Amen. So it's a temptation. The temptation is to get proud. Temptation is to get frustrated. Amen. Tempta how about this one? Temptation is there to get bitter on the battlefield because things aren't turning out. See, look, we do know how it ends, but like the old preacher said, we're heading to a wedding. It just ain't no picnic along the way, and the temptation is to get bitter. Well, this is not how I expected it to be. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I mean, is your life really exactly how you thought it would be right now? If so, you ain't doing any thinking, but that's the battlefield, and we have to put up with battlefield conditions. And over there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, some of the battlefield conditions, you know what it is? Just like Charlie Brown, grief. Good grief. Peter says, endure grief. You and I are going to have to put up with a bunch of grief. You see what I mean? That grief comes from family. It comes from friends. It's going to come from the brethren. It's going to come from every angle to get you off the path, get you out of the battle, get you out of the race, get you to stop serving the Lord, as they say about David, you get to quench the light of Israel. That's what, that's what it's all about. And sometimes you got to run to that secret place. Sometimes you got to slip away. And sometimes you got to run away. And sometimes you got to dig your heels in the sand and say, I'm not going anywhere. I ain't putting up with any more of this. I'm going to fight. And that's what David did. Now, notice this thing. You can't, you can't, uh, you can't, you can't expect to have a victory without a ba uh, battle, right? Look at verse 8. Bible says that David slew them with a great slaughter. Ain't that something? You can't expect to have a great victory unless you fight. You know why some Christians have no joy? No victory. No victory. You want joy? Go win a soul to Christ and go win a spiritual battle and be in fellowship with Jesus Christ. But it takes more than just the one because that joy slips out and you need a refill on joy, the Bible says over there in the book of Romans. All right, let me give you number three here. Sometimes when you're in trouble, you know what you have to do? And I'll watch David do it. Sometimes you have to unload on someone you trust. 
Now, I know the brethren won't like this, but I don't give a rip what the brethren think. I don't even care. Look at verse 18. Uh, David, he goes over to Samuel, and verse 18 says, And told him all that Saul had done to him. I bet you that felt pretty good. You ever, you ever had a chance to unload on somebody that you trust? I'm not talking about Facebook. <laughs> Stinking Facebook. A bunch of devils on Facebook. And told him all that Saul had done unto him. Sometimes you just need to unload and unwind. Amen. You need to find someone you trust that's of a higher spiritual stature than you. And every once in a while, just talk to him. You see, in this passage here, Samuel's still the man of God, isn't he? You know what David does? He goes, man, I can't talk to Saul. He wants my head. So what does he do? He goes to the man that gave him the last spiritual piece of advice he had. And he goes to Samuel and he vents. And he just unloads. I mean, doesn't the passage say, and told him all that Saul had done to him? I bet you that was quite a t- I bet you there was a bunch of coffee being drank right there if they could drink coffee. And sometimes you have to learn as a Christian when trouble comes, it's okay to find someone you trust. You say, okay, preacher. Well, that's how, no, no. If, if, if they run their mouth, then you shouldn't be talking to them. But if you have someone you trust, you can unload, you can unwind. There's something therapeutic about being able to talk to someone that you trust. And he goes to that mentor of his, and he goes to Samuel, the man of God, and he just throws up on him. And you know what? It's not a replacement for the Lord, but sometimes you just got to throw up. Sometimes you're holding everything in, right? You're trying, to, you're trying to do all this, and you're trying to set an expectation for yourself that's higher than reality, when the fact is when trouble comes, sometimes you just got to find that fellow, that individual you trust and unload and unwind. How about this there in verse uh, number 18, is it? Sometimes you got to learn to unhitch the wagon in a different place. The Bible says that David went to Nioth and Ramah. You see that? Sometimes you need a break. I don't know if you see it in the passage, but David, he, he needs some help. And he's got someone he can talk to, but you know what? He can't stay where he's at. He needs a break. He's got to get out of there. And Christian, that might be you. I don't know. I don't know if you're in trouble. Sometimes you might need a break. You might need a change in scenery, and you need to learn to unhitch that wagon in a different place, like David did uh, with Samuel in Nioth there. And uh, sometimes you just need a break. You need a vacation. I'm telling the truth now. When trouble comes, you know what Martin Luther said when he had all kinds of trouble? I'll paraphrase it. He said, I used to get so depressed. He said, uh, he said there's nothing worse than being depressed and, uh, and hungry. Because when he got depressed, he wouldn't eat. So you know what he learned to do when he got depressed and got uh, frustrated in that? He learned to eat good. That's why all the paintings of Martin Luther, he was well fed. So he was giving himself to uh, merriment. Now I'm not talking about always a pleasing your flesh at every turn. But what if you need a break? Stop thinking that you've got to be some hyper-spiritual individual. It's okay to take a break when trouble comes. You're human. I'm trying to help you tonight. I don't know if this is making any sense. Sometimes you've got to learn to unload. Sometimes you've got to learn to unhitch that wagon and get a change of scenery. Sometimes you have just got to get out of here and go where you can rest. The Lord was concerned about his own disciples in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. And he tells those disciples, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Now the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We know the devil's a terrible taskmaster, isn't he? But the Lord isn't like that. You know, half the reason you're slapped tired all the time is because you push yourself. It's not the Lord. The Lord will only want you to do what you're able to do. And he knows, your, he knows your abilities and He knows your aptitude. He knows what you're capable of. I'm not saying He'll never push you beyond where you're at now out of your comfort zone, but He's not going to ride you at 100 miles an hour all week long. You need to take care of yourself. You need to learn to unhitch that wagon sometimes when you're in trouble. Put the thing in park and take a break. You say, it's not very spiritual. It's in the Bible, though, ain't it? That's what David's doing. He's taking a break. 
he goes and sees a trusted friend, a trusted mentor, and he just kind of throws up. He's like, I, I can just imagine it. He's a young man. He's a warrior. He doesn't even realize that God's coursing through his very veins. And I bet you as soon as he started talking to old Samuel, the tears just started flying. David was a tender man. Bible says in Psalm 1:1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. What I want to see, I want you to see here is not that you just need to barf all over people all the time. <laughs> but what you need to see is you need someone that you can get some good counsel from. You need someone that you trust. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, the Bible says, Every purpose is established by counsel. And of course, Proverbs eleven fourteen, where no counsel is the people fall. Of course, being a preacher, you know what I know? If I don't have good counsel, I'll make a mess. I have got to have good, hearty, godly counsel. You say, you got the Holy Spirit. You see how you are? God put men and women on this earth for a reason, and that's to help you out. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9, ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. I want to ask you tonight. I know it's a lonely, lonely world that we live in. Do you have someone you can unload? Uh, do you have someone that you can get some sweet, hearty counsel from? And if you don't, I'd be concerned. Those without counsel, the Bible says, your purposes are disappointed. You're going to face more disappointment. You're going to face more failure without the right counsel. Say, i got a multitude of counselors. i got 66 of them right here. Okay, knothead. I understand that. That's good. Amen? This book is full of great counsel, but God gave man. And here you see David. He's unloading on someone he trusts. And I'm just saying, as your preacher in a time of trouble... Yep, go to that secret place. Yep, dig your heels and fight it out. But it's okay to find someone you trust because if they're the right friend, they're the right counselor, they'll point you right to Jesus Christ. And when you get into the thick of it, there's a fog that sets in and it gets real foggy out. And you need a friend sometimes that'll say, hey, 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 hey. You're slipping a little. You're slipping a little. And that hearty counsel will help you and guide you back to the Lord sometimes. Very important. I want you to see this. Sometimes you got to head to the secret place, slip away, run away. Sometimes you got to dig in and fight it out. Sometimes you're in trouble. You have to learn to unload on someone you can trust, not Facebook, amen? But most importantly, in verses 19 to 24, what I want you to see, most importantly, in a time of trouble, you have got to learn to give things completely over to the Lord himself. Verses 19 to 24 show this. I want you to notice here in these few verses, when you give things to the Lord, He alone can take care of any obstacle. There's no doubt some of y'all are here tonight, and you're like, there is an obstacle in the way, and it ain't getting removed for nothing. You have a want, you have a need, you have a desire, and there's an obstacle a mile long, and nothing can remove it. Let me tell you what, you give that thing to the Lord, He can move it. He can move it. Now look at this, uh, when you give things to the Lord, He alone can take care of any obstacle. In verse 20, notice this first set of messengers, and by the way, this isn't like news reporters, these are death messengers. Look at the passage. These are messengers of death. Those messengers were sent to what? Kill David. You see that? I mean, it wasn't like a Tupperware party invite. It wasn't the, you know, pampered chef party. It's like, look, we're here to kill you. So they are there to kill God's man that's doing God's will. You see, what, you see what I mean? And notice this, the first set of death messengers, guess what they're turned into? <laughs> they're turned into preachers. <laughs> How fitting for our day and age, amen? They're turned into preachers. How about this in verse 20, against their will? You think they went to Nioth and said, oh, I want to be a preacher so bad, I don't know what to do. And the Lord, you know what he does? He supernaturally intercedes and he overrides their will. Sorry, John Calvin. You see that? You say, why? God's in control. And that first set of death messengers against their will are turned into preachers, and they start preaching up a storm. You say, why? 
because the Lord had his hand on David and he wasn't going to let anything happen to his man. And now it's this in verse 20, uh, 21, the second set of death messengers are turned into preachers against their will. This is crazy. This is absolutely supernatural. And in verse 21, the third set of death messengers are turned into preachers and are unable to do David any harm. No doubt this is all the king's horses and all the king's men sent after a little flea like David, right? So therefore, the big kahuna, the big boy, King Saul himself says, well, you can't, you got to do it yourself, right? So he goes and he's going to take care of David once and for all. And guess what? In verse 22 and 23, the big boy himself is turned into a preacher and he gets to preaching. Look at 22 and 23. Then went he also to Ramah and came to be a great well that is in Sichu. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And once and behold, they be at Nioth and Ramah. And he went thither to Nioth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Nioth and Ramah. I want you to notice this here. When you give things to the Lord, not only does he have the power to remove the obstacles, but he alone has the power to derange the minds of your enemies. He alone has the power to derange the minds of your enemies. Verse 24, look at it. Here's the big boy Saul himself, and he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and laid down naked all the night and all that night. What a weirdo. You see that? You see what the Lord does? He takes one thing and just changes his mind and just dehumanizes him just like that. Fills him with the Spirit of God. You say, why does he have to fill him with the Spirit of God? Because if you look back, that evil spirit's on him. And if that evil spirit would have stayed on him, he'd have killed David. So he puts the Spirit of God on him. He starts preaching like he knows what he's talking about. He takes off all his clothes like some of these charismaniacs do, and they get all wild and crazy there. And he lays down all night long. Now notice this. The derangement and delusionality, it allows David to get away safely. You see that? This derangement, uh, uh, it dehumanizes the cowardly King Saul. It destroys his credibility. Oh, there's our king, naked as a jaybird. What a goofball. You see that? You say, why? Because he gave it to the Lord. He gave it to the Lord. It destroys his credibility and it deflects any attack that he may have wanted to bring upon David. I'll give you some verses here. I know you know them, but they're real fitting for this thing. Psalm 37, 5, the Bible says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. What I'm showing you is God told David he was going to be king. And Samuel anointed him, and David did everything he could to avoid trouble. He hid in the secret place. He went and he fought it out. He unloaded on a friend. And the last thing he could do is just let God take care of it. And God took care of it. And let me encourage you tonight that when trouble comes, you may go to the secret place. Amen. You may dig your heels and fight. Amen. I hope you do. And you might have to unload on a good friend. Amen. I hope he listens. I hope he gives you good hearty counsel. But God going to take care of that thing for you. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. You know this one in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7. Casting most of my care. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I'm telling you what, you serve a God that cares about you. And it's hard to understand because of our lack of care for ourselves many times. Psalm 61, 2, the Bible says, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You've got a rock you can go to. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He can override any obstacle. You give the problem to him. Doesn't make it go away. Might end up for an interesting outcome. Amen. I'm not saying someone's going to strip down naked and preach. But you see what I mean? God can take care of any obstacle. And he destroys the, the credibility. If Saul had any credibility, it's gone now. And they're like, is, is he a prophet or is he just... Right? You say, Why? Well, never forget, you can do all that stuff we preached about in the front. That's okay. But you've got to learn to give that thing to the Lord. You've got to give it over to the Lord. Let me give you this verse. Psalm 118, verse 9. I've always wondered why the Lord put this in here. 
through David. David says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in... You remember what Jonathan was saying to David at the first part? Jonathan was acting like, yeah, my dad's not going to do anything, and I know what dad does, and I'll let you... Right? You know what David had to learn here? It's better to put confidence in the Lord than princes. Jonathan was a prince. Great friend. But David had to learn, you know what? i got to give it all to the Lord. All to the Lord. I'll give you one more verse here tonight. Psalm 37, 7. You know the verse, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the men who bringeth wicked devices to pass. What I'm saying is sometimes you just have to learn to rest in the Lord. Trouble's coming. You might be in trouble right now. Let me encourage you to give it over to the Lord. So here we come to the end of chapter 19. And knowing full well that you and I are probably going to face some kind of trouble, maybe as early as before Sunday, right? Have you considered hiding yourself in that secret place and just stealing away until the Lord gives you something? Have you just considered it? You say, well, I don't really have one. Well, maybe that's what this is about tonight. Maybe this is about saying, all right, Lord, I need a place where I can go to. It's just you and me. And you say, well, it's too noisy in my house. Okay, go for a walk. Maybe your secret place is just going for a walk and talking with the Lord. Have you considered that the Lord might just want you to fight some things out and that you need some victories in your Christian life to help you with some of that trouble? I don't know, maybe tonight you have a trusted friend or spiritual counselor with who you can get good counsel from. I hope you do. I hope you do. But if we could just get a hold of the last thing we preached on, the next time you face trouble, never be afraid to completely turn things over to the Lord, for He's sufficient for all things. Isn't that what Paul said? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Now you know that, but it's hard to live it, isn't it? Let me uh, close with this. Don't be afraid to turn things over to the Lord. He'll clear the obstacles. He'll clear the path. And if you're doing what He wants you to do, He'll take care of you. All right, why don't you stand? Time of trouble. All right. Brother B, why don't you close?